0: Download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits.
1: Welcome to another Legends interview. This time, I had the pleasure to sit down with the president of the Western Writers of America, Nancy Plain. She's won numerous Spur Awards from the Western writers, the most prestigious prize they hand out. Her work is for younger audiences, and it's covered a wide range of topics. When I met her at the WWA convention, we talked about something that we haven't gotten into in the show, but I think is a big part of the American West, the art of the West. She's written books on two of the most iconic painters of the old West, Frederick Remington and Charles Russell. We'll dive into their lives and their art as well as talk about the Western Writers of America as an organization. I'm sure we have a few aspiring authors out there. Shout out to you, Gary Patterson. And you'll want to hear this. Here's Nancy Plain.
0: Nancy Plain, incoming
1: president, or I should say, brand new president of the Western Writers of America. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this.
2: Thank you. It's exciting and a pleasure to be here.
1: So the first thing we want to talk about is actually the Western Writers of America itself. Can you give me some highlights about the organization? As we record this, we are sitting here in Billings, Montana. The week of meetings and panels for the convention for 2018 is just wrapping up. But I want our listeners to know what really is the Western Writers of America.
2: I can say so much about Western Writers of America. I could keep you here all day. It is a wonderful organization of people who write about the West. This is our 65th anniversary. We were founded in 1953 um, and we have grown immensely. We are. It started out as writers of traditional Westerns, uh, shoot-em-ups, cowboys and Indians, wonderful novels, right. but it started out only as novelists and since then we have expanded to include major historians, children's book writers, poets, songwriters, screenwriters, juvenile nonfiction, which is what I write, juvenile fiction, um, cookbook writers. We have a lovely cookbook that was published last year by Two Dot Press, which is, has gotten great reviews. Right. And it's chock full of comfort food and. Really fun recipes for cornbread and cake and everything we love. Right, um, and it's a it's it's a the friendliest, most interesting organization I can I've ever belonged to and that I can ever think of. You come here to the convention, which we hold every year in a different western city, um, and it's like a homecoming. It's it's like a family reunion. We over the years we've just all grown to know each other. And we also welcome new members. We have lots of new members this year. I think we have 102. Wow. So we're growing, we're expanding. We're always, we're looking to preserve all the great traditions, but we're also looking to um, innovations, how to get our word out, how to get our work out um, to uh, just nationwide. Uh, we, we're looking to partner with museums and uh, We go to book festivals, and it's just—it's such a, an active organization with so much going on that I'm trying to think of everything, and I'll probably forget something right now. You
1: couldn't possibly go through the entire list, I'm sure, and we certainly wouldn't ask you to try to run through all of the highlights right off the top of your head. But yeah, that's a great one. And my sister and I have been here all week, experiencing. The convention and we we got that exact same feel everyone who was so welcoming to us here who were completely new and and foreign to most people we talked to a few people before the convention but it's been great to meet everyone and we really got to see firsthand the family reunion aspect of it that you were talking about this really is the the time of year where everybody comes together from across the nation sometimes even across the world uh, people right. come from outside of the u.s to come to the convention and they all get to hang out for a week here and have fun and talk about all the different topics and see a whole bunch of stuff on the panel. So it's been a really fun experience for us.
2: And, you know, there's one thing I want to emphasize, and this, this is really this really strikes me a lot. Um, we're just, we help each other. We, we're made up of people who are just beginning their writing careers. We give an award for first novel and first nonfiction book. But then we, we run the gamut from people just starting out to people who are really very well known, um, Craig Johnson is on the board now and he, he and um, A. Martinez and Marcus Red Thunder gave a wonderful panel on the Longmire series and so we just mingle and mix and we share each other's stories and give advice and it's great for networking and you, you just got me started, and um, we have an editor-agent panel, so if you're looking to pitch a book, you sign up and you, to speak to a particular agent or editor, and you pitch your book, and careers have been started here, and I know that Western Writers has helped my career immensely.
1: Right, and I'll give a quick shout-out here to a gentleman uh, named Gary Patterson, who is a, is a loyal listener of the, of the podcast and interacts on Twitter, and he and I—I I sent him a picture of that panel, that editor and agents panel—and yeah. said, "Yeah, hey, we got to be here next year." So he—I know that he's an aspiring uh, Western novelist or nonfiction writer. It's probably both. He probably wants to dabble in both. But I—it was—it was kind of a fun thing. I said, "Yep, here we go. You got to plan your next year's trip." So hopefully, right. Gary can get his work finished, and maybe he can be here next year.
2: Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Spur Award and. Um, One of our major functions is to give awards for distinguished writing on all topics Western. And, you know, it runs the gamut from categories to screenwriting to biography. It's have a lot, many categories. Um, And so we give a Spur Award each year. There's a winner and there are two finalists. And we have a a list of um, really distinguished judges who judge these books and it's a lot of work because there's a ton of reading it's great reading now i've been a judge and i've really learned a lot from reading other people's writing and i've enjoyed it so the spur award is given we also give um our biggest literary literary award is the owen wister award for a lifetime of writing this year's winner is rudolfo anaya who was the foremost founder of the chicano literary movement and i was lucky enough to be able to read his letter of acceptance of the award um it's a big beautiful statue too we also give awards within the organization for people who've done the most for the organization okay and a number of other awards but our our main feature is the spur award right and i know in my own career having won four spurs um i you know, it's, it's been an immense help in getting proposals accepted by publishers.
1: Sure, I can and, imagine. And
2: uh, it's just a thrill. Every year I come is a thrill. And I, I, I joined in 2008, and I haven't missed a convention yet, and I hope never to miss a convention.
1: Right, well, happy 10-year so, anniversary, then.
2: Thank you very much. <laughs> One of our thrusts is to let people know that, you know, the West is not dead, and it's not only the past, although the past really fascinates most of us. But what's going on today is really important. Right. As you see, we're in Billings, it, it Montana couldn't be more beautiful. It's like oh, paradise. Yeah. And people are living here today and and facing all kinds of issues. Environmental and ranching and sure. you name it.
1: Sure. And I just just to slightly build on that and we'll kind of wrap up with the with the discussion of the Western writers. But as you mentioned earlier, it the Western writer started as novelists, and it has expanded to cover pretty much every type of writing that's out there. And just as we've been here, there have been roundtable discussions about screenwriting. There's panels on screenwriting, so obviously the the film aspect of it, and all the different kinds kinds of fiction and nonfiction and juvenile fiction, all of that stuff is represented here. So uh, that's some of the stuff that I found fascinating too. And obviously, we had you mentioned it too, the Longmire panel about bringing oh, a yes. novel to the screen, in this in this case, a television series. Oh, yeah. So that, that kind of stuff is just as present. There's, there's the real world issues, there's some fun historical issues, and then there's also the kind of movie magic aspect of it too.
2: Right, and poetry and, oh, yes. everything. Yeah, I love W.W.A. It's just, it's, it's the most fun, you know, and I, I encourage people to come to the conventions. You don't have to be a member to come. You can pay a one-day pass and sit in on hear historians talk about Custer and the Little Bighorn or, or whatever you want to
1: do. Right, right. Yeah, we came as non-members this year, luckily. Well, so I'm we, glad you came. Yeah, it was, it's been yeah. a fantastic experience. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for telling us a little bit about uh, the Western writers. We appreciate it.
2: A Nighthawk. It was night and the big sky over Montana territory glittered with the cold light of a million stars. A young cowboy named Charlie Russell was on nighthawk duty for a cattle roundup. On his spotted pony, Monty, he watched over the horse herd, circling and circling as the animals grazed and slept. To keep them calm, he sang a cowboy tune. Charlie didn't mind riding all night, He would catch up on sleep in the morning when the other men were out on the range chasing cattle. Besides, the sunrise over the mountains, the way light and color moved across the prairie was a treat to see. Charlie was new to the Roundup, but already he felt at home. This wasn't because he was a first-rate roper or rider. He wasn't. In fact, he was afraid of bucking broncos. But he liked life on the range, and he made friends easily. Around the campfire he told stories that made the other cowboys roar with laughter and always as he talked he would pull a lump of beeswax from his pocket and make little figures, Indians, cowboys, outlaws, animals, whatever characters he needed to illustrate his tales. It seemed that Charlie could draw or paint anything too. Wherever he went his pencils and paints went with him, stuffed into a spare sock. The Cowboys recognized their faces in his pictures, which he dashed off on scraps of paper, bits of wood, even the lining of someone's hat. In a few years, this habit of sketching life on the range would earn Charlie the nickname the Cowboy Artist, and he would become famous throughout the country. But in 1882, his first year as a Wrangler, he was just that newcomer, Kid Russell. He was a long way from his hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, but Montana was where he wanted to be.
1: So Charles Russell and Frederick Remington were contemporaries. They're two of the more famous Old West artists or West American Western artists that Mm -hmm. have been out there. They're iconic artists. They were working at about the same time. I think Remington is maybe three years older than Russell, something like that. They're very close to the same age. But why has their art had so much staying power over the years?
2: I think their art has had so much staying power simply because it's so magnificent. And they're very interesting men to compare because actually, in terms of personality, they couldn't have been more different. Really? Their lives were very different. Remington was an Easterner who fell in love with the West. And he was... He was a wonderful artist. He has a painting called The Fall of the Cowboy, which in my fantasy life I would have in my living room um, because it's one of my favorite paintings in the world. It's, it's at the Eamon Carter Museum, and I went there a couple of years ago in, to Fort Worth and just stood in front of this painting. It's, um, the topic is the, the end of the open range jays, and it's a snowy... Day in the picture. It's gray and kind of bleak, and there are cowboys leading their horses home after a long day working with cattle, but they have to open a fence in order to get home. And I don't remember whether it's a barbed wire fence or not, but the meaning, the reason why the painting is titled The Fall of the Cowboy is because it the painting is emblematic of the death of the open range, and that was, it was kind of Remington, Remington's lament. And um, he has another wonderful painting called The Outlier, which is all, it's very impressionistic in my mind. It's, it's uh, an Indian uh, sort of a night watcher, all done in blues. And it's, it's also very poignant. But Remington also painted many pictures of the cavalry. He was very interested yeah. in the military out west. That was pretty much his, what he was really drawn to. And as I say, he was not a, a, a real westerner, although you wouldn't know it from his pictures. Another painting I love of his is called Buffalo Runners in the Bighorn Basin. And it's, got, it's a picture of Indians dashing up a, a slope in the Bighorn Basin, after running after Buffalo. And it's so exciting. The movement in his paintings is just thrilling. Now, um, Charlie, on the other hand, Kid Russell, was actually a wrangler. He worked on the open range um, for 11 years. And when he started out, he was primarily a cowboy. He was a young cowboy. That was his dream, to be a cowboy. And... um, He painted the people he knew. He painted the people in the cowboy camp as, you know, when they're on the trail. And in fact, um, all his friends could recognize themselves in their pictures, and they could recognize even their horses. So, um, and he was, he was a lot of fun to write about because he was just a free spirit. Remington was much more... A calculated man, okay. if that's the best way I can describe it. Charlie, uh, in in the beginning of his career, he just dashed off paintings and gave them away to friends. And he was, and he he wouldn't sell to anyone he didn't like. In his first paintings, he sold or most of them he gave away, and a lot of people wished that you know he had given them away to their great grandfathers or grandfathers, because then they would have a right. fortune in their attic, and. Um, so he started out giving things away in the saloon when he was palling around with his cowboys after a, you know long days on the trail. And then he, when he became famous, he was getting record prices for his paintings. And right. I remember uh, writing about, he once got $75,000 for a painting, <laughs> or when he got $10,000 for a painting, it was astounding to him he couldn't believe it. And now, of course, all his paintings are in museums. But he's considered, you know, he was the real Westerner and they were both wonderful, but they were so different.
1: Right, and I think you touched on several different things there that, that somewhat lead into a couple different questions I have, so we'll try to work our way through them. I think one of which I thought was really interesting, you mentioned I didn't know that, that a lot of the the people and animals in his pictures are either maybe exact representations of people he knew, or at least based on those types of things. That's really yeah. interesting. And that one of the things I noticed in looking through his artwork was that he seems to have a little bit more of a whimsical quality to some of his paintings with like a horse, you know, a, a cowboy who's on a horse that's somewhat out of control and it kind of plows through the middle of the campsite. Exactly. He does things like that, which you can now that you hear about it, really seem like it was probably drawn from a, a real experience.
2: Oh, that's cowboy, that's um breaking up something called breaking camp i think i think it's something and, like yeah and the and the bronco is horses running wild with a cowboy on top yeah. trying to control it and it it runs right through the breakfast fire yeah and tin plates are flying yeah. and, and and i'm sure that's a real thing that happened
1: it it absolutely now that um, you say that it really feels like it had to be drawn from yeah. your
2: life but you know that's an interesting insight chris that that you compared his paintings you you spoke of his paintings that way because that I just realized that really, um, that speaks to their different personalities as well. So Charlie, you know, he, he said, um, he was a wonderful man, and, and I enjoyed writing about him for that reason. That was one of the reasons. Um, he, was, he was pretty level-headed, and he said something like, I don't deserve any credit for having talent. I was born with it. I had nothing to do with it. And he also said, they called him a sagebrush celebrity in the beginning, because okay. he, was, he was definitely in the beginning well known in Montana before he became, I guess, world famous. Sure. And um, there's so much I can say about him, I'm kind of losing my thread. But he also said, he was all about telling the stories of the West on canvas. And he said, I can't even live long enough to tell all the stories I want to tell on canvas. And um, he was this unassuming, friendly guy. All he really wanted to do was have fun painting and hang out with his buddies in the saloon. But when he got married, he married um, a woman named Nancy. Now I forget her her maiden name, but Nancy Russell kind of whipped him into shape. And she would actually come down to the saloon and kind of drag him out and say, okay, Charlie, you know, you gotta make a living. And, but, but he credited her in a big way for um, his career, and, and she was really instrumental in getting him well-known. So he went from, you know, your friend sitting uh, in the shade of a tree on the Roundup just dashing off sketches sure. to after Nancy got a hold of him to um, being sought after by... Presidents, senators, big oil tycoons, and the like. Sure, sure. So she did it.
1: Fantastic.
2: Yeah, she said. Oh, he said. Nancy is the business end. I'm, on, on the, uh, I guess the, the artist end. Yeah, or, she
1: kept him in line so that he could produce this artwork and make it, make a real business out of it. Do it, do it for real.
2: Right. And interestingly, this is this is a tidbit, and and this is one reason why I love to write biographies because you. You kind of get to know these people and things that aren't necessarily in the history books. After Charlie died, and he died only at 62, Nancy, um, who was very friendly with Will Rogers, exchanged some letters with Will Rogers. So Will Rogers and and Charlie and Nancy were good friends. But Nancy felt guilty about having, she felt that he had held Charlie's nose to the grindstone and and you know, pressured him about getting on with his, his, his career. And she felt that maybe she had prevented him from having the fun that he wanted. But um, Will Rogers comforted her and said, at one point in a letter, he said to her, he left us, Nancy, but he left us much. And that's so
1: true. You mentioned that he was getting record prices for his paintings at the time. I don't know if they're actual records, but certainly the paintings nowadays have been sold for millions oh, yeah. at auction. Oh, at least sure. two of his paintings have been sold for more than $5 million a piece if I'm not mistaken. So there what what do you think resonates about those paintings with people today? I mean, it's one thing for people at the time to have paid those giant sums of money, but people are paying even larger sums of money now to own these paintings. What kind of qualities do you think are in those that resonate with people?
2: It's, it's love of the West. People love the West. People will always love the West. It will never be passé. He also wrote short stories and he said, he has this little ditty that he made up. And it says, the West is dead, my friend, but writers hold the seed. And what they sow will live and grow again to those who read. But I think that applies to painting as well. Yeah. Nobody is going to get tired of pictures of of the West and Western subjects. And I might add, probably not so well-known a fact about Charlie is that he actually painted more Indian subjects than cowboys. Really? Yeah, and, and that's it's very interesting. He was a true advocate for Native Americans, and he called them the only real Americans, and he had tremendous passion for improving their lives. I mean, after he started, he only worked the Roundup for 11 years, and then he settled down to painting full-time, but he also was very active in advocating for Indians because in Montana, um, I forget the exact years, there were, they were starving. Uh, The Blackfeet and Mm -hmm. I think the Cree—they had a lot of trouble on the reservations, and he wrote letters to the Montana newspapers saying, essentially, "You should be ashamed of what you're allowing to happen."
1: And that that was basically going to be my last question. Here is that he spent his entire adult life in Montana. Mm -hmm. He died in Montana. There are monuments and tributes to him all over Montana. How do you think? his work has impacted Montana and and shown Montana to the wider world it's not one of the it's not one of the classic boom towns of Dodge City or Tombstone or Deadwood or anything like that it's it's much more of the open range but he captured that and gave it to the to the country they might not have been as familiar with it as they were reading about the craziness in some of these raucous cattle towns in their in their newspapers
2: well that's a good question I mean for one he made a, a huge mural for the state house in Helena and A fascinating thing about him that speaks to his interest in Indians is that he, the the subject of the mural is uh, the Flathead Indians, Flathead Indians meet Lewis and Clark at Ross's Hole in Montana, and it's painted from the Flathead Indian perspective so that you see the Indians front and center, and Lewis and Clark are, are smaller figures to the right background, and that that's typical of charlie he was interested in the native american history so i mean that's one thing he gave the state and i think that the west belongs to all americans and you know i'm from new jersey but i i love the west and we have members many of our members are not from the west and i think whatever charlie gave to montana he also gave to america and also to the world and i think it's
1: as we wrap up a discussion about Charlie Russell, uh, you, you mentioned the Amy G. Carter Museum in Fort Worth earlier. I would encourage anyone who, especially, I know we have a lot of listeners in Texas, there are two art museums, Western art museums in Fort right. Worth. You can see some of his paintings right there. And obviously, if you're traveling around the West, you can spot them in several other places. So I would certainly encourage anyone to go visit those museums and, and find those works. You can look them up. And certainly you can look them up online to see representations. Right. But standing there and seeing them in person is much different. You can find, you can see how intoxicating they are and how you can daydream and imagine what it might have been like and that's I think that also probably speaks to the captive quality of those paintings.
2: Right, and it's a thrill to stand in front of the real thing. I had seen the the, uh, reproductions of The Fall of the Cowboy so many times as I wrote the Remington book but to stand in front of it it was was kind of mind-blowing. Right, right. For one thing it was smaller than I expected. Really? Because you see these huge reproductions in books and and they take up the whole page and it was smaller.
1: That's interesting. uh,
2: Yeah, but it still packs a real punch.
1: I can imagine that, too. Yeah. All right, thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: Thanks for listening. Now, as always, if you like the show, please give it a rating and a review on iTunes. Those things help make the show more visible to new listeners as they're browsing through all the different podcasts out there. You can find us on the web at OldWestpodcast.com and on our Facebook page, Legends of the Old West Podcast. The handles for Twitter and Instagram are at Old West Podcast.